So when Joan returns, we're going to hear from Joan, and we're also going to hear from Rocky and Chelsea. I don't know if they're here this morning. There they are in the back. They just got back from Uganda a couple weeks ago after spending a couple months in there, and so we're going to be able to hear from all three of them of what God is doing in that part of the world. So today, as I mentioned, we are in Colossians 4, starting in verse 7. And verse 7 through 18, which Nick read, are passage of a couple verses there, which you can so easily just skim over of like, well, Paul got to his point earlier in the letter. He's just saying random people's names and thanking them. And, and why is this here? Why does he identify these 11 individuals? Well, often what we see with Paul in the book of Acts, we see a number of individuals named. And then also in Paul's letters that he wrote, he is naming many different individuals. There's over 100 people named that ministered with Paul. So Paul was not doing ministry on his own. He was not on mission on his own, just like Joan's not on her own, Rocky and Chelsea. All of you are not on your own, nor am I as part of this church. That Paul names these 100 people. In the chapter 16 of Romans, there are 26 different men and women in that single chapter that he names. I was thinking about this as we were working and editing our annual report that we send out to our members of everything that's happened over the last year. And I went through there and I said, I wonder how many people are named in here as all the different ministry leaders submitted a report. And there was over 120 different people named. And then there was references to many others who uh, served and ministered. And looking at this, of, of why is this important? What's that reminder that it's not me alone. It's not us alone. It's not you alone. It's not, as I mentioned, others alone in ministry. It is the togetherness of us all. See, mission and ministry was never meant to be alone. It was never meant to be done alone. And we live within this individualistic, me-centered society. I mean, we celebrate self-starters. We celebrate self-made millionaires and billionaires. We celebrate influencers. We focus on our own personal brand. And you may not have ever thought of it this way, but if you think about social media, whatever you put out there is, is a way that you want people to see you or see a part of your life. You're building your own brand. But you don't need to be on social media to build your quote-unquote brand. And it's the way you dress. It's what you drive. It's where you live. It's how you project yourself to others around you. How does people see me and how do I want to show myself to the world? And so we have this very me-centered reality that we exist within. But then we come to the scriptures and we try to project that into scriptures as like my own salvation, my Jesus, my growth, my whatever it may be. But scriptures are written in an Eastern society that is very communal, that is very group-oriented. This letter was not written to an individual, it was written to a church. And it was to be passed around and shared with others. And so when we look at this here today, we ask the question, why in the world did Paul identify these individuals and what was their role? What do we miss when we just skim over these last verses in Scripture? So we're going to take a moment and just briefly do a snapshot of, of a number of these individuals. And today, too, is I'm going to ask you to respond in a couple different ways. Paul began this letter with prayer. He ends it with prayer. There's prayer scattered throughout. And so today, what I'm going to do at different times is I'm going to identify maybe a group of people or, or a way that you desire to grow, and I'm going to invite you to stand if that's you. And I want to pray over you. You don't have to stand because the person's standing next to you. You don't have to feel obligated, whatever it may be, but only if you would like to do this. And I'll, I'll explain more as we get going. So verse 7, take a kiss, the first one. 
Take a kiss. We'll tell you all the news about me, Paul said. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now with Tychicus, we see him about five different times in Scripture. First in Acts 20, at the end of Paul's third missionary journey. His name means fortuitous or fortunate. And Paul says he's a dear brother. He's a faithful minister. He's a fellow servant. And what was his job? Well, his job was to carry the letters that Paul wrote. He was to be trustworthy. He was to be dependable. He carried the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians, to Philemon, to share about what happened not only in written form, but he was there to articulate even more, to expound even more than what Paul wrote down. And so this person had to be dependable, had to be trustworthy, because Paul was sending his heart, what the Lord was telling him to teach these various churches. So I think about that, is that Tychicus, he had this responsibility. And we all, as individuals, have responsibility where we're dependent upon, where we're entrusted with something. Maybe in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in a group that you're a part of or that you lead, whatever it may be, there is this dependability and trustworthiness that's needed. Even more so as a follower of Christ, if you proclaim Jesus, there's this greater responsibility for us to be dependable, for us to be trustworthy. So what does that look like in your life? So the first group I want to pray for here today are the, the Tychicuses among us. Those who have been entrusted with something. Again, maybe in your neighborhood, work, school, whatever it is, you've been entrusted, you've been asked to do something. Maybe it's here in this church, a way that you minister, or a way that you serve, or a way that you lead. You've been entrusted with something, and you're being asked to be dependable. So that's the first group I'm asked to stand in just a moment. But the second group in there, too, is that maybe you desire that. You're longing for that responsibility. You're longing for it to be depended on. You're longing to be trusted. You're asking God, there's something for me. I want want to be entrusted with something. I know I've been entrusted with something, and and I want to be entrusted with that, and I want to stand for that. And so I'm going to invite you to stand. If that's you, you have been entrusted with something. You are, someone's asking you to be dependable, trustworthy. You want that in your life. Would you stand right now, and I want to pray over you. Let's pray. Lord, for those, God, who stand here today, Lord, who have been called to a responsibility, whatever it is in the world, God, family, work, whatever, school, Jesus, I pray that you would infuse them with your spirit, God, that they would become more and more dependable in what they've been entrusted with, that they've been asked for. Lord, that they would be trustworthy in what they say, what they're going to accomplish, they do that. Lord, that they would be honest and they would be upright. Lord, for those that surround them, that ask them, that depend on them, God, that you would build into that relationship. Lord, I think right now, too, of the pressures that mount when we're dependent on, when we're entrusted with something. God, external pressures and internal pressures. Jesus, I pray that your spirit would minister, God, that knowing that you're the one that strengthens us, you're the one that we can lean on in these times. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit, God, when we feel that burden, that heaviness, that we would surrender that to you. God, may you empower us. 
Lord, you're good. Pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Along with Tychicus, there is another that is sent as a letter carrier, a responsibility, and that's Onesimus. How many of you have heard the name Onesimus before this morning? I'm guessing, for those of you that didn't raise your hand, if you've heard anything from the book of Philemon or read the book of Philemon, this is a name that may ring a bell. Onesimus is the slave who ran away in this letter. Paul writes a letter to Philemon, who was a leader in the church. He had a house church. He led the church. He was respected. He was wealthy. And in that time, he had slaves. And Onesimus left, stole money from Philemon, and left and fled to Rome. Now, Onesimus, if he was caught, would face death, almost certain death. He went to Rome, and he met Paul. Paul led him to Christ. And so Paul pens this letter to Philemon, saying, hey, uh, I met Onesimus. Jesus has changed him. He left you as a slave, but I'm returning to him to you as a brother. I'm returning him to you as a brother. And in Colossians 4, uh, another letter that Paul wrote, see what he calls Onesimus here. He says, Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. Who's Paul writing to? The church. He's saying, Onesimus, this runaway slave, he's faithful. He's a dear brother, and he's one of you. He's saying it's gonna be really easy to look at him and look at his past and label him for his past and label him who he was, but when he met Jesus, he was forever changed. I've witnessed this, Paul says. Paul is saying you need to include him in your church. So there's still this tension that's happening, even though he wrote this letter to Philemon, there's this tension within the church. Paul points to this power that Jesus transforms. He takes the old and he creates the new. He shows someone surrendered to Jesus. He shows a faith that breaks sin. In a writing from Ignatius, uh, outside of scripture, there's uh, early church father Ignatius. He wrote these words. He wrote in a letter. He said, since then, in the name of God, I received your entire congregation in the person of Onesimus, a man of inexpressible love and your pastor. I beseech you in Christ Jesus to love him and all who are like him. So Ignatius is pointing to Onesimus, who scholars believe this is the same Onesimus that we see here in Colossians and we also see in Philemon. He says he's a man of inexpressible love, probably that he experienced from Paul. And then he also says this, and your pastor. So Onesimus, if this is the same Onesimus, he went from slave to brother in Christ to pastor. And look at the opportunity that Ignatius talks about here. I beseech you in Christ Jesus to love him, he's saying this, and all who are like him. What does that mean to be like him? Well, there's others who have a past. There's others who have a history. There's others who were enslaved. So when I think about this, I think about that I have a past and you have a past. And so often what we do is we, we hide and we, we keep this away and, and we just we don't want oh, that past. But I wonder what God can do with a past. I wonder what God can do. This was me. I'm at Jesus and this is me. 
this is who I am, the change that comes. So this is what I'm gonna ask, the next group we're gonna pray for. Does anyone have a past? I do. I'm gonna invite you, if you have a past and you've met Jesus and Jesus has changed you, to stand, I wanna pray over you. And some of you have a past and then you met Jesus and then like me, you had a season and then you met Jesus again, right? And then maybe there's like this just renewal. So if you have a past, you met Jesus and Jesus has changed you, I wanna pray over you. Jesus, I pray for all who are standing in this place now. God, that you have a story that you're writing. God, you know our history, you know our past, you, you know the things that we're ashamed of, the sin, the, 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 the things that we just lived within. Jesus, you know your saving power, how you've saved us and you've transformed us, you've brought us from death to life. And God, you renew and you restore and you build. And for all those standing here today, God, who look back at their past in whatever way they interact or try to ignore or whatever it may be, Jesus, I pray that you would use that for your glory. God, like Onesimus, God, who reached others, who Ignatius said were like him. Jesus, I pray that you would help us share our story of who we were and how we met you and how you changed us. So Jesus, I pray your spirit empowerment upon each person who stands here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As you move forward, I want you to think about what, it, what is that story? Again, not reveling or like celebrating sin, but it's celebrating what Jesus did in light of that. And maybe you're sitting in a place right now where, where you've run away from, or you're still in your past. I want you to know that there's a God that changes, there's a God that transforms, there's a God that, that takes the old and makes it new. And it's through trust in Jesus. It's confession of Jesus as our Savior. It's a confession of sin and it's a, sin, and it's a belief in our heart that Jesus lives. So I encourage you just to process and to pray that. Maybe that's a step you want to take of faith like so many others have. Verse 10, my fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Let's start first with Aristarchus. When I look at Aristarchus, I think of faithful friend or steady friend. He is with Paul. He meets Paul in Ephesus, and he's there by his side. He is faithful. He is steady. He is with him. I mean, there's a story in Scripture where a riot breaks out. Aristarchus and Gaius are together with Paul, and, and they're carried out of the city in this riot, but yet they stay together. That he travels with Paul to Jerusalem. Paul is arrested. Aristarchus is not, but he chooses to stay with Paul. He's that steady friend. He's that friend that has that sympathetic heart. He's that friend that I'm sure looked at Paul and was like, what do you need? How can I help you? How can I be there with you? I'm gonna be here physically present with you. I'm gonna be present with you. He's that type of friend where I'm sure Paul was like, hey, I'm thinking about going. And he's like, I'm with you. That friend that's like, Paul's saying, oh, you know, I'm really feeling, oh, here, tell me. These type of friends are blessings. These type of friends and people, these burden bearers are a gift. The people that are with you through both the good and the bad. 
And we, church followers of Jesus, we all need to be burden bearers. We all need to be Aristarchists. We need to be these burden bearers that have the sympathy, that feel the pain of others, that carry the burdens of others, that walk with one another. Galatians 6.2, Paul wrote these words, and maybe he had him in mind. He said, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul is saying, hey, you want to you be faithful to what has been taught? Carry one another's burdens. One of the things that gives me the, some of the most encouragement is I'll go visit someone who's sick or in the hospital or there's been a death or whatever it may be, and I'll just acknowledge that's hard. It doesn't matter how many times you do it. It's hard. And some of you are afraid to step into each other's burdens and hardships because you, it's hard. It is. Let's just acknowledge that. But in those moments, your presence is powerful. Just sitting there, being there is powerful. I've shared this before, is that when Joanna and I were going through our uh, multiple miscarriages, that there was someone that approached me. We, we had so many words shared with us and people's comments, both good and bad. Uh, but one person came, I'll never forget this, just walked up and just hugged me. Didn't say a word. It was the most meaningful response to our time of hardship. Not a single word. The person was like, I'm there. It was just through the hug. And many of you show up. You show up physically. You show up through calls, texts, emails, cards. You're there. You show up. Just show up. And I'm deeply encouraged when I go somewhere and the person or their family is like, hey, I just want to tell you, it's great that you're here, but this person's been here, this person's been here, this person's been here, this person called, got this, got this. And I'm like, this is awesome. This is the church being the church, carrying one another's burdens. This is powerful. I cannot emphasize this enough to carry one another's burdens, to be there for one another. And so the next group I want to pray for is I want to, I want to pray for the caregivers, the burden bearers, those who stand with those who are hurting, those who engage, those who um, are there, you, you have that, that's just, that's you. And also in that group too, I wanna invite you to stand if that's something you desire. And maybe you've had that fear of like, I don't know what to say. I wanna be that person. I wanna be the care provider. I wanna be the burden bearer. I want that. So I'm gonna invite those who are and those who want that to stand. And as you stand, let's pray. Jesus, for those who stand in this place and those who are watching online and are standing wherever they're at, we thank you for those who are the hands and feet of Jesus in times of need. Those who comfort through words and actions and presence those who are the faithful, steady friends in both highs and lows. Jesus, we pray your continued empowerment for those who walk in these difficult spaces, these hard times. God, we pray that your further empowerment, and God, that you would minister to them as well. God, giving words. 
words to say, the times to be quiet, the places to go, the things to do. And Jesus, I also pray for those who are standing who, who freely admit that this is a hard reality for them, that they want to be those burden bearers. They want to be that steady friend. And whatever it is that's holding them back, Jesus, I pray that there would be a breakthrough. I pray that there would be an empowerment. God, that they would trust you, Lord, in whatever way it is to respond. And so may your spirit empower each and every person. We pray this in your name. Amen. It's made a comment in first service as a church. We're up and down, up and down, up and down. See, there's, there's a little more to these last couple of verses that you may have skimmed over, right? There's a lot going on. Verse 10. So Mark, too, he sends his greetings, right? It says, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And then there's a really intriguing comment added here. It says, you have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Hmm. What was this instruction that now we need a new instruction? If he comes to you, welcome him. Well, let's go back. Acts 13, we encounter Mark. He traveled with Paul. He traveled with Barnabas, which we know is his cousin. And what happened in Acts 13 is they're facing some opposition. They're facing persecution. Things are getting really hard. There's Paul, Barnabas, and Mark. They're ministering. And in the face of this opposition, Mark is like, peace, I'm out. I'm gone. And he leaves. There's Paul and Barnabas without Mark. Fast forward to Acts 15. Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to go on another missionary journey after what is unfolded. And Barnabas says, hey, Paul, I've got an idea. I've got, got someone we can take with us. There's this guy named Mark. You remember Mark? Mark, my cousin, we can take him. And Paul said, no way. Nope. And Scripture says that Barnabas and Paul have a quote-unquote sharp disagreement is what it says. I can picture this full-out argument and battle over this of why he should and shouldn't come along. So much so that Barnabas and Paul go opposite ways, that Barnabas takes Mark and they go to Cyprus, and that Paul takes Silas and goes to Syria. Ten years later, we read in Colossians chapter 10, it says, if he comes, welcome him. Paul, when he looked at Mark, had a feeling about Mark had an experience with Mark. There was evidently, the, the hospitality was not extended to him. But what happened in that time? We see in Scripture that Mark continued to minister, but just not with Paul. He connected, Mark connected with Peter. They were in Rome. And when we read, that, we see that Peter mentored Mark. Peter called him a son. There's this, close relationship. He was discipled by Peter. And so Paul recognizes that there's a change that's happened, kind of reminiscent of Onesimus. Paul says he's changed, he's matured, he's been reconciled. So much so that in 2 Timothy 4, there's this end of Paul's life. He's writing, and he's saying, my friend Luke is with me. There's only one other person that I want. The end of my life, to do some ministry here at the very end, bring me Mark, because he's helpful to me. 
in my ministry. This same Mark is one of the four gospel writers chosen to share the message of Jesus. So if you sit here today, if you're at home today, and when you look at faith, you look at Jesus, you look at following him, maybe here today you've abandoned your faith. Maybe you've abandoned Jesus or you've left Jesus. Maybe you've walked away from church. Maybe you've walked away. Or maybe you're getting ready to. Maybe you're saying, this is my last effort here today. Or you know what? I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm testing this out. I'm not really sure. I might walk away from Jesus. I might walk away from faith. I might walk away from church. I want to tell you that, that the past does not disqualify you. If you've walked away, that your sin does not disqualify you. It does not eliminate you from following Jesus. Your questions does not eliminate you from following Jesus. No matter what the past has held or no matter what you're, you're wrestling through here today. In fact, one of the beautiful things about following Jesus is that there are second chances and third chances and fourth chances and 84th chances and 155th chances and one billion chances. I don't understand the grace of God. I don't understand his patience, but it doesn't matter if I understand it or not, it's real. We serve a patient and a loving God who welcomes you back, no matter how far you've run away or where you're leaning. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. What's our job? Confess our sins. What does he do? Well, he's faithful, he's just, he forgives us our sins and he's gonna purify us. Our job is to confess. So here's our next prayer, but I'm not gonna ask anyone to stand, all right? Maybe this is you. Maybe you've walked away. Or maybe you're getting ready to walk away. I wanna pray over you and pray for you. Let's pray. Jesus, there's no doubt that following you, faith, you, Jesus, it can cause a lot of emotions and questions and processing and, and we experience uh, other people Maybe people have caused hurt. We project that on you, Jesus. But here today, whatever the situation is, whether someone is far away from you or getting ready to walk away from you, Jesus, I pray that just in this moment, God, your love would surround them. And maybe that's a feeling, but, but maybe that's just the truth, knowing that you love each person. God, no matter who they are or what they've done or where they've been or what they've had done to them, Jesus, it's your love for them. And so, Father, in this moment, I, I pray that people would lean into you, would return to you, would recommit, would rededicate, whatever sort of language. But God, they would follow you, Jesus not follow an Americanized Christianity or, or anything like that, but follow you, Jesus. 
Jesus, I pray for each person that you would minister to their hearts, their minds, Lord, that you would move in them as they walk with you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Verse 12, Epaphras, one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus. If you remember, he's one that, that most likely went to Paul and he said, hey, this is what's happening in the church. And, and Paul wrote this letter. We most likely have Colossians because of, of Epaphras. And there's a phrase in verse 12 that it says, he is always wrestling in prayer for you. As I read that, I thought, uh, do I wrestle in prayer? Do we wrestle in prayer? I mean, just in your mind for a moment, just, just picture wrestling, all right? I don't care if that's like the old school 80s WWF with Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant or modern WWE or, you know, uh, ultimate fighting or whatever it is, or high school wrestling. Is that like prayer? Is that the way we pray? I mean, for me, a lot of times it's like, all right, God, here I am. I'm listening and here's my stuff. And thanks so much. Love you. Right? I know I'm not alone. But what's the last time I wrestled in prayer? When's the last time you wrestled in prayer? That you had whatever this burden was, and you didn't just set it before God and walk away. You just sat there and wrestled. You got sweaty with it. You like had some pain, some victories, some losses. I mean, Jesus wrestled in prayer so much that he, he bled, right? He sweat this blood. Do we wrestle in prayer? And Paul's intent in Colossians is that we, he would present everyone mature in Christ. And prayer is a massive reality of being mature in Christ. And every single one of us, every single one of us have opportunity to grow in prayer. Epaphras wrestled in prayer. See, today we are praying for different groups, but it can't just end here. And so what does it mean for you to wrestle in prayer? What is it on your heart and in your life and on your mind that maybe you've been praying about but not wrestled with in prayer? I'm going to leave it right there. encourage you to wrestle with whatever that may be. Verse 14, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here. Paul then says, he talks about our friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas. And oh no, this is really a contrast between these two. Luke is, as it mentioned, a doctor, a close companion of Paul, traveled with Paul, entrusted that you see, I mentioned earlier that he was with Paul in his last days, that he's this faithful friend. And at the time that Paul wrote this, he, he talked about how Demas had been there as well because he had traveled with him at least two years, had been imprisoned with him at least twice, was there with him. But what Paul did not know when he wrote this was that what we find out in 2 Timothy 4 is that Demas left the faith, just walked away from the faith. It says that the world enticed him, intrigued him, and he walked away from the faith. We have this contrast of a faithful friend, one who stayed by Paul, and then one ultimately who would abandon him. See, when we follow Jesus, we're going to have people who are with us to the end, and there's others that are going to walk away. Some that will walk away from you or walk away from the church or walk away from Jesus completely. 
See, I want to I want to be I want to be Luke, but I can very easily be Demas. And the same thing is true for you. You may desire to be Luke, but we can very easily walk away. See, Demas was so enticed by the world that he was drawn away from following Jesus. And as in this pastoral role, this is, this is one of the hardest things is to watch people move back and forth with Jesus. And sometimes there's people that, that walk away from the faith, walk away from Jesus, that it just, it breaks my heart because I love them. I love them and I love you. See, what we do is, as a church, we, we, we need to be there for one another, be present for one another as we already talked about this. That no matter how our heart breaks is, is how, how do we go to one another? How do we pray for one another? How do we be that faithful friend? How are, how are we present in these hard times? The last couple of years at our membership meeting, um, after we've called the role, I've made a comment, and I'll make it again this year too in September for our annual meeting, is that we'll read it, and not everyone comes to the annual meeting. And I've sensed the last couple of years there kind of be the stirring of like, ah, they're not here. Ah, this member should be here, which is true. If you're a member, you should be here for that. But what I've encouraged the other members is to not just sit and grumble and look down at other people. Hey, how you doing? Hey, how are you? I've missed you. Reaching out to one another. Not just this like, I wonder what happened to them. But really the sincere like, I wonder what happened. I wonder how they're doing. And so as you look around the church, when you see someone who's not here, or you realize, oh man, I haven't talked to that person for a while. I don't care if they're teenagers or they're 90 years old or whatever it is. It's like, don't just be like, I wonder what happened to them. Reach out. Something that has broken my heart more times than I like to share is I'll talk to someone who's been away from the church for a season or they've made a shift, uh, wherever it may be, move or change of church or uh, just walked away from faith, whatever it may be, and I'll check in. More often than I'd like to share, one of the comments they make is that no one has reached out to me. Or like I was a part of this church, but no one has reached out to me. And that breaks my heart. Like, how can we be intentional? Even with the numbers that we have, it's impossible to know everyone. But for you to move environments where you're known and you know others, and you're looking around, and you're like, hey, yep, these are the people that I'm checking in on. All right, verse 15. Oh, yeah, and, and with the prayer, we need to be praying for them. I think I mentioned that. Verse 15, give my greetings to the brothers and the sisters at Laodicea and Nympha, the church at her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans and that you read the letter from Laodicea. So Paul's saying hi. But I wanna point out Nympha. Is that Paul takes a moment to say hi to Nympha, to acknowledge her and to acknowledge the church that she had in her home. As I mentioned earlier with Philemon is that people would open their homes and often the people who open their homes would lead the church, would supply the church with whatever it may be to form this. And Nympha led a church. She had a church there 
and he takes time to acknowledge her. He welcomes. And Nympha is one of 16 different women that Paul intentionally names in Scripture and points to in their roles within the church. Those who led, those who served, those who gave. She had what she, she gave what she had. He says, you know what, say hi to these churches, but especially her church. So we see those giving their gifts and their talents for God's glory, fervent prayer, those who ran away and returned, the burden bearers, those who have a new identity, those who are trustworthy and dependable. And then as we wrap up here, verse 17 is where we're gonna land. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received from the Lord. Archippus, his gifts, his talents, he has a calling just like every single one of you who have said that you're following Jesus. Paul took this time to acknowledge everyone who had been a part and who had done things. And for some reason, Archippus, he says, complete the ministry <clears throat> that you have received from the Lord. So we can look at him and say, he may have stalled, he may have been distracted, he may have just not been invested. And Paul is saying, you've witnessed the examples of others go and do likewise. <clears throat> and so what I've realized is that I am Archippus and you are too. Is that it's so easy to stall, it's so easy to stop, it's so easy to be distracted. But that we're each called to complete the ministry that you've received from the Lord. Your giftings, your talents, your role in life, your job, your neighborhood, your school, it is intentional. It is not a chance. And we're being encouraged today to complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. As followers of Jesus, we're called to make disciples, to baptize, to teach, to minister to one another. I am Archippus. Will I complete the ministry that God has given to me? Will I complete the calling? For some of you, it's very clear, like Joan who stood up here. It's like, yep, I'm continuing this ministry, this mission. That's her calling. For others of you, you're like, yep, this is where I'm called. For, for, for possibly many of you, you're like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's stepping in and trying some things. I never, ever, 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 I can't say that enough, thought I would be standing here. Ever. I'll say it one more time. This is nothing I intended, planned, thought about, and I'm not saying you have to be a pastor of a church. Not even close. Not saying that. But there were seasons in my life where God just said, hey, try this, try this, try this, try this, try this, try this. And I'm like, all right. And sometimes I, was, I ignored that calling. And I don't know what I missed. And right now I'm asking the same question because I am still archivist. Is, is what is this completion of ministry? So what is God calling you to? What is it? As we wrap up, I want to just throw a bunch of things out and maybe something will stick. Or maybe God has already showed you what it is and you just need to step into that. Here at the church, we, part of being, part of this church is, is serving one another, is being there for one another. And I've talked about the ways already, but maybe there's a certain role. Every week in the weekly, we put out opportunities to serve, ways to serve at the church, greeting, ushers, coffee, tech teams, lighthouse, 
prayer. Um, I mean, there's, there's a zillion different ways that you can be a part. In the community right now, if you were to go to the weekly, there's home tour opportunities to be Jesus, to be the church during home tour, to be a part of mobile meals. There's information on there about that. To take food to people that are shut-ins, that are recovering from surgeries, to visit them. Later this fall, there's going to be even more opportunities as we open that building and we welcome others. But two opportunities I want to highlight this morning is one kids' ministry. Last week, Corey stood up here. There is a great energy and excitement and joy that's happening in kids' ministry right now. As God's doing a really cool work. It's so fun to be able to look in and see this. And like Paul, it's not just Emily and Corey, it's a huge team. And a huge team is needed. And so Sunday morning, starting September 17th, we are offering a full kids service, not just at 10.30, but also at 8.30. We want to open that service to families to be able to bring their kids, everything from preschool through fifth grade. And we need people to serve. One of the things that Corey said last week is that worship at one service and serve at the other. Or for you, if you come to this service, serve at 8.30 and then come to this service and worship. You're here. Be a part. And all they're asking right now is for one Sunday a month, and you can do more if you want. I mean, if you're serving and then worshiping, you could really do that every week if you wanted. And so there's great opportunities. I encourage you to connect with Emily and Corey and just be a part. And it's not just teaching. That's often what we think with kids' ministry. They're looking for greeters, kids' greeters. They're looking for hosting. They're looking for check-in people. I mean, there's opportunities beyond teaching in a classroom. So you can talk to them about that. The second thing I want to share, and both these conversations came up just in the last week as I was preparing this message, um, is uh, the union downtown. Since uh, 2019 or so, we've had a space downtown that was used in great ways in 19 and early 20. And over the last number of years, very sporadically, and just been praying about, like, what's next down there? We have this beautiful space that we can easily connect with people downtown and easily use as an outreach Um, for people that will never step foot in this building. And so the last year or so, I've been talking with Andrew Skibby, and we finally were able to connect um, and really iron out some things here recently. And Andrew has a heart for Jesus and a heart for this community. And when he said, hey, I want to champion the, the union, what do you think about that? I said, yes. And I don't know if there's a better person that could lead that. And it's probably too much padding on his back right now, so I apologize. But with this, Andrew, like Paul, is not alone. We need people. And our goal is not just to host FBC events down there, but rather to be involved with community events, to be a presence, to to love on people, to care for people. And it's going to take all sorts of different looks. And and I love some of the brainstorming that's already gone on. But we want to welcome you into it. And so anyone that has a heart for people, a heart for our community, um, Again, it does not matter your age. I'm looking at you guys, too, down here, all right? Because I know a lot of you have been talking about this already. And, um, and you have a heart for this community and your friends. And, and so I'm looking at you guys, and Andrew's expecting a lot of you guys. Um, but not just you guys, um, even though a lot of times the youth have led and championed massive change in this church. Um, not massive change, but good change, great change in this church. And so, um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting great things here but everyone else too, all right? This is a great opportunity. And so Andrew, will you wave right now? If you don't know Andrew, that is Andrew right there. 
He's going to be hanging out out back uh, with, uh, I don't know, paper or something or phone. He's, he's going to take your information. Because what he's going to do is everyone who's interested, he's going to find a time. And you're going to meet and you're going to pray. And you're going to brainstorm and you're going to work together of what this could look like. How could we better reach our community? How can we invest in people's lives and give of ourselves to them? And then also there's an email address. Um, so andrewskibby at gmail.com. So um, don't sell his address. He would appreciate that. Uh, so email him or go see him afterwards. Uh, I just, I'm excited about both of these things that are happening here. So the point being is that we don't do this alone. That we do this together. And so I want to close with a prayer and invite you to join in this prayer of blessing that Paul prayed over the church at Colossae. And I want to pray the same prayer over us as we step into this next season of ministry and life here at the church. Let's pray. We continually ask you, God, to fill us with the knowledge of your will through all your wisdom and the understanding that the Spirit gives. Spirit, may you move on us in a mighty way so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord to please you in every possible way. Lord, may we bear good fruit. May we grow in the knowledge of God. May we be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might, that you would give us great endurance and patience that only comes from you, that we would be joyful giving thanks to you, God the Father, who has qualified each one of us to share in the inheritance of those who know you as Lord and Savior in the kingdom of light. So Jesus, Lord, we rest in your blessing, your peace. God, you're good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.